Oh, dear. Tom, I love you. Never mind. Oh, well, good morning, everybody. I'm, I'm very anxious and excited to be able to share this morning. I'm just going to move stuff around just a little bit and make it difficult for them later. But um, I, I am excited. If you don't know, my name is Shannon. So uh, I think I know most of you, but some of you I haven't met before. So maybe after service, you can come up and say hi to me, and we can meet, and then we can say we know each other. But um, a couple of things I want to do before I get started. There, there's a couple of things coming up. Do we have any parents in here? Do you guys know what tomorrow is? Back to school, right? Can we all applaud? No. <laughs> oh, j just real quickly, if I, I may, if there's any teachers or anyone, administration, principals, anybody that's part of the academic system of the school, would you stand up for just a second? Yes, uh, we are. Yes. And if you go ahead and remain standing for just a second, if you would. I, I'm gonna, I, I want to embarrass you as much as I can. Um, <laughs> But no, in all seriousness, though, we, we truly appreciate what you do and understand that you carry the, the Word of God and ministry into the church, even though many schools have said it's not allowed. And I thank you for that, because you, you do carry Christ with you wherever you go, and you are making an impact on these kids' lives. So thank you very much for that. So as we, if we can, if we see who it is, can you maybe just extend your hands for just a moment? We just want to pray over the school, the students, the teachers, the faculty, everyone involved with that. So, But Father God... Lord, we thank you for the opportunity and privilege to be able to come before you freely in this country. Lord, I thank you for the men and women that have just given their life and their time to pour into these kids' future. Lord, we are a church that loves children, cares about children, and wants the best for the children. Father, as I mentioned before, that you know the, the, our state, our country, may have tried to remove you from schools, but God, by your glory, by your presence, by your power, we will keep you in the schools. So, Father, I just pray that you anoint each and every one of these that are involved in the school system and let them know how important, how significant that they are. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes. And, and real, real, real briefly, I want to ask everyone to do something else, if you would, for me as well. As I've heard, this fire season's been pretty, pretty brutal. And I don't know if any of you have family or friends that are being impacted, but someone shared with me just a little bit ago that there's a family that may be evacuated from their home, and it's difficult. So I'm going to ask that our church would just continue to be in prayer over the families that are being impacted all over, all over the place right now. It seems like almost all the western states have a fire somewhere. So, again, just, if you can just be in prayer, I just want to real briefly make a, just a, a starting prayer. And I'm going to ask if you will just continue that attitude of prayer and tell our firefighters continue to risk their lives to get these fires out and save lives, save homes, and save just livestock and everything else that's being impacted. A little bit of a hum. But if you would, just real, uh, real quickly, if you just bow your heads with me. Father God, we just want to pray for the families that are being in, affected by these fires. Also, also, Lord, I want to pray for the firefighters, the safety of them as they go out and risk their lives to save homes, Lord, to save lives. Father, I know many of them may lose their life in this process, and it's such a sacrificial action that they do to go in and rescue people, Lord, so we thank you for them. So, Father, we just pray for safety over all that are involved, all that are being affected. And, Lord, I pray that right now that just, Lord, the fires will just disappear. Let it be a supernatural, something, a miracle, Father, that people can begin to proclaim that you were involved and something amazing happened. Lord, what a testimony and a story that would be to share. We thank you, Father, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to begin this morning a little bit like how they used to in the old temples. 
they would come up and they would read a passage of scripture. So we don't have it on the overhead. We don't have it, you know, you can turn to your Bibles, but I'm going to start reading long before you find it because I'm not going to tell you where it is yet. <laughs> but I just want you just for a moment just to listen to the Word of God. There's something powerful in hearing the Word of God. So this is Mark 9.33. It says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last, and the servant of all. He took a child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Today, we'll begin a, we're going to review some scripture that I believe was a topic that was important to the apostles. And it was brought up probably far too often. They talked about who was the greatest. We're going to cover a little bit of passage. We're actually going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So if you're one that likes to follow along in your Bible, go ahead and if you want to go ahead and start turning there now. But the understand the apostles, you know, they wanted to be in God's kingdom. It was important for them to be in the kingdom. But it was for them, I, I believe, at this point in time, not only did they want to be in the kingdom, they wanted to be something important in the kingdom. They wanted to sit at the, the, the right hand of Christ. They wanted to be something special in the kingdom. I mean, after all, they gave up a lot to follow Christ, right? So we're going to kind of touch base on that a little bit, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that a little bit this morning, again, in Matthew chapters 18, 1 through 6. So as we begin, I just want to ask that the Holy Spirit, and you're going to say, man, this Shannon guy prays a lot. I hope you say that. <laughs> but I want to pray that each and every one of us can receive something this morning. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit will, will fill this place, and you will be receptive to receive what it is he wants to share with you this morning. I pray that whatever I say, whatever I speak about, the words that I use may have absolutely no impact whatsoever, and you may hear something completely different today. And I pray for that. I pray that God reaches down and heals and connects or does whatever he needs to do in your life right now because I don't know what's all going on in your life today. I pray something from today's message will impact you in a way that you leave here and be a light out there. So if you would pray with me this morning. Father God, we thank you again for the privilege to be able to be in this great country, to be in a place of worship, a place that's safe, to come in and to worship you. Father God, I pray over the message this morning that it will reach your children. Father, that lives will be changed, that hearts will be changed, that minds will be changed. Father God, I pray that you will work a work in us that we've never seen before, a work that will change our culture, that will change our community, that will impact the soil that we walk on, Father God. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be so strong in each and every one of us that it will be like back in the days when they would walk down the streets and their shadow would pass over the sick and they were made well. Father God, I pray that we will have a renewing in this community that will spread throughout this entire country and into the ever regions of the world. Father God, we are your children, and with that we carry a great responsibility. Father, we're going to learn today about a childlike humility. 
Father, teach us what it's like to be humble. Teach us what it's like to be innocent. Teach us what it's like to love and to be loved. Father God, we thank you in advance for the work you are going to do today. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we begin this morning, I want to start again with Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It's probably on the overhead. It says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand before them, or among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Hmm. Now, you know, one of the things about children that I think is just so joyful is their innocence. There's something about children, the way they understand things, the way they see the world, the way they hear the world, the way they respond to things. And and oftentimes, they don't necessarily understand what we say or how we say it, and they have a different kind of interpretation of things. And it's cute, it's precious, and it's joyful. I wanted to share a couple of stories that I I came across in my studying this morning that I wanted to share with you. And one of them was about a a six-year-old who went to the doctor. No, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to do my other one first. I can do that, right? Up up here. You guys don't know if I make a mistake, right? Just go with it. I'm going to start with the other one first. It'll make sense later. But the first one is about a Sunday school teacher. And she's preparing for her class, and they have the normal check-in, like we do here, obviously. And there's a student that comes in, a little boy, and he does, has no identification whatsoever. No name tag, no one of those stun things that they carry around pagers. <laughs> didn't, didn't have anything. Tom, don't worry, Tom, we'll talk later. Um, but anyways, they're preparing for their Sunday school class. She's preparing for her Sunday school class, and this little boy comes in, no identification, and she's trying to figure out who he is. So after a little bit of time, she learns his first name is Brian. So she's like, Brian, little Brian, what is your dad's name? Daddy. Okay. Um, well, what's, what's your mom's name? Mommy. I don't know why she asked that question. But she continues to go through this, and she realizes how she can get the information she needs. She goes, little Brian, when your daddy calls for mommy, (laughs) what does he say? Well, little Brian stands up as proud as he can be, and as deep as voice, he goes, hey, babe. Oh, Oh, I got a better laugh out of first service. Come on now. (laughs) Okay, I'm not the comedian, but I'm going to try one more time. Okay. A six-year-old goes to the doctor with a fever. Oh, I know. I'm taking after Tom here, sharing jokes, and I'm not any good at it. But a six-year-old goes to the doctor, and the doctor comes up with one of those little things that you look in the ear, and looks in the ear and says, so who do we have in there, Mickey Mouse? The little girl goes, no. So the doctor's looking up her nose with the little thing that doctors look up the nose with. I don't know why they do that, but... And it's like, well, who do we have in there? Donald Duck? The little girl's like, no. 
And then he gets the stethoscope and listens to her heart and says, well, who do we have in there, Barney? And the girl goes, no, Jesus is in my heart. Barney's on my underwear. <laughs> That's better, thank you. But kids, they do the darndest things and say the darndest things, don't they? So if you want to ask about that, ask Mike Holman. I'm sure he'll share a very, very cute story about what kids can do. If you guys don't know who Mike Holman, are you in here, Mike? Mike, are you in here? Hi, will you raise your hand for a second? <laughs> you need to ask me. It's a really cute story to share later. I love you, Mike. <laughs> but, you know, Jesus, to Jesus, children are more than just an entertainment for us. Jesus teaches us that children are really the, the means and the, an example on how to enter and reach into the kingdom of God. There's an innocence about children. There's a, there's a love about children. There's, there's this innocence of understanding about children. They're not always correct in what they say or think, but there's just a principle that we often forget about, that we want to hold on to. And in my many hours of you know, relentless searching online and looking for silly videos and all that, I came across one that wasn't necessarily really silly. It was pretty serious. But I really thought it embodied the message that we're going to talk about this morning. And it's just, it's a very short video. And I'm going to ask if maybe we can just kind of dim the lights a little bit. And just as you're watching this video, I want you to think about that passage that we opened up with that I read to you. Just think about that. Think about today's topic, Matthew 18. Just think about that as you're watching this video and allow God to begin to, to soften you for just a little bit this morning. So if we could show that video. You tell me children don't have an innocence about them and a willingness to make a sacrifice. I don't know how many times I've watched that video, and almost every time I do, it tends to 
choke me up just a little bit, but just that pure innocence. Obviously, there was a misunderstanding, but that willingness, that sacrifice, that humility that a young child can have like that. Jesus was not joking at all. When he took a child and told the disciples that they had to become like children before they could enter into the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus makes it very clear. The key to spiritual life and growth is a childlike humility. So I invite you this morning to look just a little closer at Matthew 18, 1 through 6. I'm going to ask as, as we go through this morning, if we could maybe just keep that passage up there for a little while and allow us to, to reference it as we go through some of the things this morning. As we start out, I just want to kind of set the stage a little bit. Jesus and his disciples were probably in, in Capernaum. They were probably over at Peter's house when they begin to discuss amongst themselves the topic that was pretty prevalent in their mind at that time. Who is the greatest? And it's a topic, again, that I, I, I don't know if I said in first or second, but probably came up quite a bit in their mind. I mean, again, they gave up so much to follow him, and it was a topic that often came up. And I'm not going to attempt to try to understand what may have happened, but I do want to try to paint a picture, if I may. Many times we often look in Scripture and we, we read the, about the apostles and the disciples and they, they do deserve our respect. They do deserve every bit of honor that we give them because of the work that they've done and the time they spent with Christ and the writings and the so many sacrifices that they made. But oftentimes we forget that they were and are human. And they began to discuss with themselves and argue about who was the greatest and who was going to be the greatest. And I'm sure each and every one of them had a very compelling argument. And in my twisted little mind, I kind of came up with this idea of what kind of topic this could have been. Now, again, this is not in the Bible, but this is just a kind of an illustration to kind of help us maybe understand how this might have went. But, I mean, there, there's Peter, obviously. Now, Peter, he was the rock, Right? He was called the rock before many of them. And I could just almost see him telling the others, well, you know, Jesus called me the rock. So obviously, I'm going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And, you know, you've got somebody like, you know, John over there saying, well, Peter, we all know you've got a big mouth, but come on now, who's Jesus' favorite? I mean, G John did say that he, was, he often described himself as the one Jesus loved. So you could just see this banter going back and forth. And, and then, of course, you've got Andrew who jumps in the middle. Oh, time out, guys. Who was the first to follow him? Now, that's got to be worth a lot. I was the first to follow him, so obviously I'll be the greatest. You know, and, and then you've got Judas over there walking around with this bag of money going, Hey, guys, who do you think Jesus trusts the most? I got the money. So there, there's all this banter going on back and forth and they're discussing and they're arguing with each other. And then Matthew finally stands up and says, all right, guys, I left a very lucrative job as a tax collector to follow Jesus. Obviously, I'm going to be the greatest. I mean, again, I don't know. This is probably not what they said and how they said it. But do you understand? Does that sound real? I mean, if you were talking about things, because let's be honest for a moment. Let's be real for a moment. How often do we look at what we do and how we determine our greatness and what we do? Look at our jobs. Who's the greatest at the job? The one that's there the most. Everyone recognizes who's there the longest, right? Who puts in the most hour, who works hard. If we want relationships with other people, we tend to invest more time. We're always 
jockeying and positioning who's the greatest. Look at sports teams. Who's the captain of the team? Who wants to be the captain? It's just a natural tendency that we have to want to be the best. And the apostles, obviously, by what we've read in some of Scripture, were no different. So Jesus is going to uh, address this with them just a little bit. So they go, and I just want to share real briefly. The disciples, you know, they went to Jesus to settle it once for all. Who's going to be the greatest? And in my opinion, I think Jesus is going to try to teach them something. I think what he's going to teach them is being the greatest in the kingdom isn't about climbing the ladder. It's about going down, being humble, being innocent. You see, human pride wants to create its own path to greatness. You know, pride is a, and I, I want you to hear this. I wrote this down, and I really, I think this hits home for a lot of people, or maybe it was just for me. Pride is a dangerous, deceitful attitude that can poison your spirit. It's way too easy for us to think that the more we do for God, the more He's going to love us. The more I work for God, the more He's going to reward me. And we get into this pattern, and this exercise to think, see how much God loves me because look how much I do. But the reality of it is, is God doesn't look at that. God loves you as you are right now. And I do believe that he will reward our devotion and our service to him. But what we do for God does not make him love us any more or any less. You know, sometimes I think people try so hard. They've got this idea that they have to earn their way into heaven. Or they have to work really hard to get and reach salvation. But please understand, it's, it's not our work that saves us. It's the grace of God that saves us. I guess you could almost say that greatness is measured by humility. You know, the, the disciples meant to use the word greatest in the sense of being important. I believe Jesus uses it as a sense of teaching us to grow up. And I'll explain to you what I mean by that. The illustration that, that Jesus uses with a little child, to me, is so astounding. Jesus is using this child as an object lesson to these self-seeking men. He's going to use a child to teach them how to grow up spiritually. As the child stands there, if you could picture the child standing there before the apostles, these, these as we would say, righteous, holy, devout men, but at this moment, they're like every one of us in here. He brings this child up and places them, this child right before them and begins to teach them and help them to understand. So the child stands there before the disciples and Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Please, please, when you hear these words, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, stop everything you're doing. Turn off the radio, turn off the TV, when you hear these words, when Jesus says, I tell you the truth, 
He's about to tell you something incredibly important. You need to take note. You need to stop and block everything else out and listen to Jesus. I tell you the truth. Now, there's a statement that follows that that I believe you can break into two parts. And if you're one that likes to write notes down, you can write this down. If not, uh, just do like I do and remember everything. (laughs) Boy, I got a lot to repent from when Tom gets back. Oh, but the two parts is this. The necessity of humility to enter the kingdom and the necessity of humility to grow in the kingdom. You know, first Christ tells them that, they, that we must be converted and become as little children. They will never enter the kingdom, much less be great, if they don't become as humble as a child. He's gently reminding the apostles to change directions, change the way they're thinking. Their thinking's not leading them the way that they need to go. There must be a turning away of sin to Christ. And the Bible calls that repentance. And it's a necessary aspect of saving faith that produces the new birth that Jesus spoke about in John 3.3 when he told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, Do I have your attention? I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, Jesus Jesus also tells them that the key to growing in the kingdom involves another important attitude, which he describes as becoming humble. As humble as that little child that stood before them. With that little child standing there before them, Jesus says that they have to become like a kid before they can grow up in God's kingdom. So what did that mean to them? What exactly would they have understood? And and if you go back and you kind of understand some of the history, children, children were loved, okay? They were important to the Jewish community. And I believe they are in our community today as well. Children are loved, but I think you're going to be able to relate some of their time and our time together. And this is what what I uncovered. It said, the Jews, to the Jews, a child was not despised but loved. However, they were the most powerless members of the society. It was only as they grew in age and stature that that they became able to be heard and given rights as members of the community. Apart from the love of their family, they had no power or privileges. Without power or rights, children were low and more than just stature. They had no voice in the home, the city, or the nation. Now, I want you to hear this, and I want you to relate to our passage this morning as though Christ is speaking to you and to me. Their primary duty was to respect and obey their parents and elders. That was their primary duty. Another aspect of their humility was the trust of a child. Even today, children will trust what most adults tell them. And it's especially true if you have a young son or daughter, they will believe everything you say unconditionally. Now, how does that relate with our being a child before Christ? The final aspect of the humility of children was seen in the fact that they are utterly dependent. Now, hear this, please. They were utterly dependent upon their parents for even the basic necessities of life. 
as well as the emotional support and education that they needed to survive. Jesus is saying here that the spiritual life begins with a change in direction of our hearts and minds. We cannot keep going in the direction of our own choosing and expect to meet God at the end of our journey. If we're going to come to know God, we must turn around and go the other way. We must turn from our path of sin and face the direction of righteousness. But when we turn, and I love this, this is so profound, at least it was for me in my transition and conversion to Christ. When we make that change of direction and turn away from sin and begin to head to righteousness, guess what? We're not alone. We're met by someone. We're met by someone who's going to take that journey with us to guide us, to protect us, to love us, to help us, to feed us, to protect us. I said protect twice on purpose. I want you to remember that because there's another passage that we get to on this towards the end that's important for us to understand. Salvation, though, is not just a humble turning from sin, but a constant trust and a companion who will walk with us It's not just receiving forgiveness of sins, but acknowledging the new life given to you by the Father. We humbly begin to trust this guide, a friend, this God who allows us to call Him Father. Our journey begins this adventure of trusting and depending on Him to guide us and provide for us as we walk in faith day by day. Now understand, we have no strength and power on our own. All we can do is trust that He will feed us, trust that He will clothe us, trust that He will keep us healthy and clean, trust that if we hold on to His hand, that we can be safe and secure in the direction that He leads us. Through that trust, that's how we get our power. That's how we get our strength. How many of you have young children? Does anyone in here have young children? Have you ever had a young child afraid to go into a dark room? Or have you ever had a a child afraid to go somewhere? What do you do? You take them by the hand and you tell them it's going to be okay. Let's go. And they trust you and they follow you and they go with you with full expectations that you're going to protect them. That's what Christ is talking about in this passage. Trust Him. Be humble. Rely on Him. He is your strength. He is your power. Take the Father by the hand and let Him guide you. Can you see here that Jesus is telling us that all of the authority, all of the strength, all of the provision for salvation doesn't come from us? It comes from Him. He alone is able to teach us to obey. He alone is able to teach us to trust. He alone is able to give us what we need to sustain us spiritually. We are born again as helpless spiritual babies, praise God, who must be cared for, who must completely trust Him, who must allow Him to guide us and teach us. We have to be willing to be humble enough to obey Him humble enough to trust Him, humble enough to look to Him to provide for us. I read an article written by Robert Fulgham. 
that I want to share with you this morning. He said, most of what I really need to know about how to live and what to do and how to be, I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but there in the sandbox at nursery school. He said this, these are the things that I learned. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt someone. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic. Please read between the lines on that, family. I want to say that again. When you go out into the world, watch for traffic. Hold hands and stick together. Now this writer has captured part of what Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like children, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The only way for us to grow spiritually is to become as humble as a little child. But with that humility comes a greatness that Jesus also wants us to understand. Jesus' words here connect himself with those who enter the gates of salvation through humility. He says that we, he will... I can't even read my own writing. should have typed it. He says that when we take the treatment of these little ones... Or he, he says that he will take the treatment of these little ones, these little ones literally. I'm going to kind of paraphrase here for just a moment. I want us to understand for just a moment something significantly powerful for us to accept in our lives. See, Jesus has given an object lesson with a little child, right? Before the apostles, the disciples, and he's teaching them the sense of humility. And, and he, you've heard now a few times where Christ describes this little ones, little ones, little ones, little ones. I want you to understand how special this is for just a moment. When Jesus is speaking the words little ones, he's not talking about literal children. He's talking about you and me. How special, how amazing is it that the creator of the universe, God Almighty, uses these phrases to describe his children that he loves, his little ones. Now, some people might get prideful or boastful. Well, I ain't nobody's little one. To God you are. Do I have any grandparents in here? Any of your children grown, obviously, then? Do you ever still call them your little ones? Do you ever still call them your babies? Do you ever still call them... Is that offensive? Is that rude or mean or inappropriate? No, you describe that because you care about them, because you love them. Look, God's not our grandpa. He's our father. It doesn't matter your age. You will always be his little one, one that he cares about, one that he watched grow, watched take their first steps. He watched your hair grow, and he watched your hair fall out. <laughs> but I'm just saying this to understand, God is your father, and he loves you. He wants the best for you. He takes joy in you, but he also protects you. You see, the end of that passage gets into something I want to talk about for just a moment. You know, there's a punishment that someone's going to have to endure 
if they try to hinder or block or hurt one of his children. You know, I'm going to, again, I'm just going to paraphrase and not follow my notes again, so I can't read it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But when we get into this and we start to understand that the millstone around their neck, now think about this for a moment. If somebody intentionally or even unintentionally attempts to lead one of his little ones away from him whom he loves, he takes that very personal. You belong to him and he loves you. He wants the best for you and he's not going to allow anyone to come alongside and rip you from his bosom that he, where you're safe. Now, there are strangers to God. There are those that have the intentions and desires to pull you away from God and let the world devour you. But I want you to understand something. Did you realize they're not alone? We, we should be careful not to lead these little ones away by bad example or neglecting to help those who are weak. Jesus promises those who lead others into sin, whether they are a part of his family or not, will be punished. Now, I personally take that very, very serious because I'm standing up here speaking to God's little ones. And I have no desire to lead anyone astray or cause anyone to stumble or sin because of what I say or do. Our actions, our words, the way we are at work, the way we are at home, the way we are around family and friends, we are a representation of Jesus Christ. And when our behavior leads somebody down a road of unrighteousness, we better be mindful of what we're doing and what we're saying at those times. The beautiful thing is, children get reprimanded, children get loved, and children learn not to do it again. Am I right? So if any of us in this room, especially me, are guilty of ever leading someone astray, ever sharing humor that's not appropriate, ever saying, acting, or doing things that are inappropriate or misleading people down a road that is unrighteous, I'm sure you've, been, you've received some consequences and punishment for it from God. And the beautiful thing is, since we're his little ones, he loves us. He's corrected us. Some in this room, even as I was writing the sermon, I was being corrected. Some of this room, very right now, may be convicted just a little bit of some of their behavior the last few weeks. And I praise God for that. It's because he loves you that you're feeling that. It's because he loves you and cares about you that you're thinking, holy smokes, I should have stayed home today. He cares about you. He wants us to be the light. He wants us to be the direction for people to follow that lead to righteousness. So for those that have had children and grandchildren, when they do wrong, sometimes they get a timeout, sometimes they get their hand smacked, sometimes they get a pat on the bottom, sometimes they get a talking to. All can be healthy and beneficial for the child to not do it again. Not to do it again. In these verses, Christ wants to remind us what God is like. 
and what we must be like if we want to know Him. God wants to be your Heavenly Father. But the only key that will unlock the door of salvation is found in becoming humble as a little child, turning away from sin and trusting Him and Him alone. He promises that if you do this, He will adopt you into His family and make you a brand new person with a new destination. You can come to Him this morning and become a child of God. I'm going to ask everyone for just... Actually, I want to share one more story and then I'm going to ask everyone to do something. I did a lot of online looking for different things and examples and stories and I found a little story that I thought was so cute this morning that I found. It's about a little girl. Her name is Shia. She's six years old and her house was just joyful. They had an addition, a brand new baby little brother came into the house. Now, she wanted an audience with her brother all by herself. And her mom and dad were a little reluctant about this because, as some of us know, there can be a, a sense of jealousy um, between siblings, especially at that age, six years old, can be, you know, jealous of the baby. And I've heard stories of little older, you know, little siblings hitting and shaking and just not doing right. So they decided not to let her be alone with her baby brother right away. But as time went by, they realized she never really demonstrated the signs of jealousy. So they finally granted her the audience with her baby brother. So she went into the room and shut the door behind her, and it, it just cracked open just a little bit. And mom and dad curiously came up and were looking through the cracks and listening. Little Shia walks up to her baby brother who's laying in the bassinet, and she gets real close to him, almost where her lips are touching his lips. And she says, tell me what God feels like. I've forgotten. I've forgotten what God feels like. Have we grown old and forgotten what God feels like? Are we on a path that has allowed us to pull farther and farther away from the Father? I want to tell you something today. You can make a decision to draw back close to Him and feel His presence. It's not a tangible thing I can describe. I can only tell you that when you're in God's presence, you can feel it. I understand what little Shia was talking about. I love to feel the presence of God. You can have that again. Now, there may be some of you that maybe you've lost that, that childlike humility, that, that innocence of being a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe it's been a long time that you've really come before the Lord and made yourself vulnerable before Him. I, I, I beg of you. I plead of you. Make that decision to quit relying on oneself and rely on God again. He is faithful and true. He loves you and wants the best for you. I'm going to ask as we come in closing, if everyone, if that's able, would you be willing to stand for just a moment if able? And if not, you can participate in your chair. But if you're able, please stand for just a moment. 
And as we do this, I'll ask the worship team. I believe they have another song that we'll close and share in just a moment to go ahead and come up and get ready. But as we stand here, I'm going to ask everyone for just a moment to do something. Do it on faith. Do it on trust. Do it on belief. Do it on, you know, just do it because I'm asking you to. Will you close your eyes for just a moment? Will you close your eyes and not allow anything to be a distraction? Will you close your eyes and take just a second, just a moment, if you would, to allow God to speak to you for just a moment? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to come down and lay His hand upon your shoulder and begin to speak and work a miracle in your life, begin a physical or a spiritual healing in your body? You know what your desires are. You know what your needs are. God knows what they are. He cares about you. Will you make yourself that vulnerable before Him this morning? Keep your eyes closed if you would. Listen to God. Let Him heal you. Let Him restore you. Allow Him to love you. If you're here this morning, and maybe you've never really been in a relationship with God before, maybe you've never really walked with Him before, Maybe you're curious about what this whole having a relationship with God is really like, but there's something here that's just caught your interest. Maybe your heart's beating a little bit. Maybe your hands are trembling a little bit. Maybe you're sweating a little bit, and you're fearful, and you're afraid, and you're like, I just don't want to be vulnerable for something. I'm asking you to take that step of faith today, to allow God in and change the direction of your life. I'm going to ask, if that's you this morning, not to do anything special or supernatural or something strange. But I want you to have a position of humility and innocence before God. I'm going to ask if you want to receive what's been talked about tonight. Will you just lift your hands up just a little bit before God? A sense of humility. A sense of innocence. A sense of just allowing God to do something different. And if you've walked with the Lord for a long time, but you haven't allowed yourself to be humble before Him, if you've, you've been doing things yourself, and you haven't been trusting God, and you know it, and you sense it, and it's like, I need to get back where I need to be before God. I want to fill Him again. If that's you this morning, will you also raise your hands and just be vulnerable and innocent before God? Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this family. I thank you for your love, for your gentleness, for your corrections, for your word. Father God, you are my life. Without you, I have no power. I have no strength. I give it all to you. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Family, will you join us as one last worship song together? You are light. 
Family, go have a wonderful day. On your way out, give somebody a hug and just remind them they're a light of this world. God bless you.